If you've been with us, you'll know uh, that at least we're in the middle of a sermon series that's looking at uh, Jesus' interactions with individuals. And uh, the first week we looked at John the Baptist and his conclusion after uh, meeting Jesus face to face was that uh, Jesus must increase and he must decrease. Uh, We've looked at Nicodemus and the idea of, of being born again and the radical transformation that comes from an encounter with Jesus. Uh, Last week, we looked at Matthew, who, when he encountered Jesus, left everything, threw a big party, invited all his friends, because his life was so transformed by the gospel. Our passage this morning uh, looks at Jesus' interaction uh, with one of his disciples, and her name was Martha. And one of the things that you learn very quickly about Jesus uh, and his interaction with Martha is we know what Martha's biggest problem was, and her biggest problem was distraction. So I've thought a lot this week about uh, the idea of distraction. It's always been an issue um, in my life, feeling like a person given to distraction. And uh, one of the moments where it's most challenging, at least for me, uh, is, is, is might, might, might be surprising to you because the most challenging place for me when it comes to distraction is our family vacation, all right? Now, our family, we have four kids, and they're all always running in a million different directions. And uh, there's one week out of the year where we all don't have any other things going on, and that is the family vacation. We go to the beach each year. And uh, it's a great time. We have a wonderful time. We look forward to it all year long. But for Dad, going to the beach has always been a bit of a challenge, because it presents me with all sorts of questions about how am I supposed to interact with things like my phone and things like my laptop and, uh, and, and things like my email while I'm on vacation. So the challenge really is dad and dad's level of distraction. And I've tried all the tricks. I've tried shutting the email down, turning the phone off, leaving the laptop home, but yet somehow the distractions always seem uh, to come up. Some years, I'm better at it than I am uh, others. So from, from, from that story, you can tell I'm a lot like Martha, and I think you'll discover that as you look at our passage this morning. So I'm going to be reading from uh, Luke chapter 10. It's a very small story, very short story. Uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for uh, the beauty of the worship we've experienced already, the sense of your presence amongst us as we've sang to you, as we've uh, read your word, as we've confessed sins and, and been assured of the grace that we have in Christ. But I pray now that as we open your word, which you promise is incredibly powerful, that as we open your word, we would hear your voice, that you would speak to us, that you would convict us of sin where we need to be convicted, that you would assure us of your grace in the places where we need assurance. So speak to us now as we interact with your word. We pray all this 
In Christ's name, amen. Well, even though this is a short passage, uh, there is a lot to unpack here. And so it's best to start by just looking at the setting in which this interaction happened. And verse 38 tells us the setting, that as they went on their way, Jesus entered into a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. This is the part of uh, Jesus's formal ministry when he was traveling uh, from town to town. And as he went, he was teaching the good news of the kingdom of God, uh, the good news of the gospel to many who had not heard it prior to that point. And as he went from village to village, he gathered all sorts of disciples beyond just the 12 apostles. He was gathering disciples. So there was a crowd that was following Jesus at this point. But at this point also, Jesus uh, had made some enemies along the way. There were many reacting poorly to the message of the, the coming kingdom of God. And so because much of Jesus' enemies were, because many of them were very influential, powerful religious people of Jesus' day, it put a lot of fear in folks. Do I really welcome Jesus? Do I go in? Do I listen to what he has to say? Do I bring him into my home? Do I risk being associated with him? But in this village, we learn that there are two sisters, Mary and Martha. We learn later on that they have a brother whose name is Lazarus. And what's interesting about the gospel story is that Jesus, it seems, becomes closer to this family, two sisters and a brother, uh, than any other family we read about uh, in the New Testament. Of course, you read later on about Lazarus passing away, about Mary and Martha sending word for Jesus to come. Jesus comes after Lazarus has died. He cries in front of the tomb of his friend Lazarus before he brings him back to life. So this was a, a significant family in the Gospels. But don't miss that the, the first words of this passage would say this, that says Martha, not Mary, not Lazarus, Martha was the one who initially welcomed Jesus into her home. She saw incredible value in what Jesus was teaching, what he was demonstrating, and so she expressed a great measure of hospitality and welcoming to not only just Jesus, but to all of his apostles and the disciples that were gathered around him as well. So while Jesus was staying in this village and teaching, he would be staying with Martha and her family. In many ways, her home would become the base of operations for Jesus' ministry while he was in this village. And so this verse seems kind of simple right at the beginning, but it isn't. Because it communicates to us that Martha was at the tip of the spear. She was the one that was welcoming Jesus. She had not only welcomed Jesus into her home, but she had welcomed Jesus into her life. She herself had become an intimate disciple of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that everything goes smoothly because very quickly Luke introduces us to the problem. And that's in verse 39. And she, Martha, had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. 
Now Luke, in, in the telling of this story, really uh, leaves no guesswork for us when we try to figure out what Martha's problem is. He tells us very straightforward. Martha's problem is distraction. She's become distracted. Now, I don't think anybody here would disagree with me when I say that our cultural moment, the cultural moment that we live in right now, is a cultural movement that is full of distractions. And in many ways, our technology, the things that we have, has made this even harder for us in our cultural moment. Think about Jesus' day. If you wanted to, to, to send a message, what did you have to do? You had to travel from town to town. You had to go visit people. A hundred years ago, you might have been able to write a letter, but still, you had to go visit somebody in order to communicate a message with them. Of course, once a telephone was created, you could call somebody on the phone, but when it was first created, you had to either be home or at your place of work um, uh, to to answer the phone and to have a, a, a conversation with someone. But now times have changed when you really think about it. Of course, you could still visit someone, you could still call them on the phone, but now we have cell phones, so we're pretty much guaranteed that they uh, are going to receive the call. You can text someone, you can email someone, you can direct message someone, or if you really want to pester them, you can do all of those things at once and be pretty sure that they have received your message. We now have so many more inputs into our lives that we have to manage day in and day out. Uh, There's a Microsoft researcher named uh, Linda Stone, and she says these technologies require continuous and perpetual attention. And most of them come with the expectation that we respond immediately to those messages. And that's why Alan Jacobs says that we live in an ecosystem of interruption technologies. I thought that was great when I saw that, an ecosystem of interruption technologies. And I think in affluent societies like ours, the propensity for these sorts of technological distractions is seemingly endless. Think about the endless gaming systems that are out there, the endless uh, television channels, the endless email addresses. I thought about this week, I have five different email addresses. That is ridiculous that I have five different email addresses. And then finally, think of this term, push notifications. Have you heard of this before? This is the, the, this is the popular thing now, push notifications. And essentially what that is, is it gives our technology the right to interrupt us and distract us at any time, to distract our hearts, to distract our attention, and to distract our time. And so our, our thought is that technology really is the problem. And so technology often becomes the scapegoat for our hearts that become distracted. But what our passage tells us is this, and I think this is important, that distraction is not a new thing. Distraction has really always been a problem. And so in our culture today, we've a lot of of instruments that can aid us in distraction, but really the idea of distraction is a heart problem that's been around for a really long time, and it certainly was Martha's problem in our story. What our story also shows us is that that sort of distraction has all sorts of byproducts that come from it. We learn that, that Mary's distractions 
have left her feeling alone. She says that herself in the passage. It's left her feeling alone. She felt alone in the midst of all the hard work she had to do. Martha's distraction also leaves her here feeling somewhat self-righteous, right? Why am I doing all of this work while my silly sister is just sitting there listening to Jesus? By the way, I'm convinced, I have no scriptural proof of this, I'm convinced that Martha is the oldest child in the family, right? And I think you probably, all the old child, oldest, eldest children out there probably have to agree. Uh, I think what we also see out of Martha is that her distraction has left her a good bit self-centered. In fact, there's a lot of me talk that you see from Martha here in this passage. But what Jesus says here is he tells her that her distraction has done something else to her as well. And so if you look at verse 41, you see Jesus' diagnosis of what's going on with Martha. He says in verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. See, what Jesus is saying here is Martha's distraction has left her full of anxieties. It's left her heart troubled. It's certainly no surprise to all of us that the more distracted we become, the more anxious and troubled our hearts become right along with it. Now, I think there's two really important things to note here. The first is when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, it really means something that in the first century world, everyone would have understood. Because to use uh, someone's name twice like that, to say, Martha, Martha, was a sign of deep intimacy. And so Jesus wasn't getting ready to blast her out of the water or to react to her with all sorts of scorn and anger. Instead, he was sad right alongside with her at how distracted her heart had become and how it had caused her heart all sorts of distress. But I think it's also important uh, to realize that what distracted Martha's heart here was actually a good thing in and of itself. Look at what Luke says in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. You see, the the popular understanding of this, and and, uh, perhaps that's because we've lived in patriarchal societies for so long, uh, but the popular understanding of this was that Martha was just too busy in the kitchen, right? That she was too busy cooking food and setting the table and washing dishes. And that, of course, could have been a part of what she was doing here. But the word in Greek that is used here for serving is, is the word uh, that we use later, that Luke uses later in the book of Acts to, to describe deacons, right? To describe those who have been engaged in the ministry of service. And what that clues us in on is that what Martha is doing is, is, is crucial and important ministry work of discipleship. She's not just in the kitchen. She's not just the maid. She is actually the campaign manager, that is orchestrating everything that is going on. She's coordinating the ministry of Jesus, the actual advancement of the kingdom of God. So what she was doing here was remarkably important. She was actually doing the service work of a vibrant disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And what makes the position of this passage uh, uh, even more important is that that this passage comes right after the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you've ever read the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know that the basic premise is that we ought to be people who radically serve our neighbor. So you have to look at Martha and say, isn't Martha doing that very thing? Isn't she doing that very thing that God calls all disciples to do, to be about the work of service? And so that question leads us, I think, to what becomes the deeper warning of a passage like this, the deeper warning for all of us, and that is this, that you and I can be so caught up in serving the world for Jesus that we can, in the process, miss Jesus himself. We can get so caught up in the duty to serve Jesus that we actually lose the relationship with Jesus in the process. Because not only was Martha's heart distracted, but she had lost the vibrancy of her relationship with Jesus while in the midst of her rigorous service. And I think that because of that, the service had become more of a duty for Martha than it was a delight. She was actually, because of this, more frustrated with uh, Jesus, allowing Mary's laziness to become the, the, the launch point for her criticism. She had become more frustrated with Jesus than she was in love with Jesus at that moment. Her sense of duty, not her sense of love, was what was driving her service that day. And so our passage brings us to what would be possibly the cure for those that struggle with a distracted heart. And that is in verse 42, where Jesus says to Martha, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. So I think we can all agree that we live in a culture of distraction. We can move through life never really truly contemplating the things that matter. And so many of you know I teach a lot of courses at a couple local universities, and one of the things that I uh, have my students do, there's two papers they have to write. Well, there's more, but there's two, uh, uh, two important ones, I think. One is I, I ask the students to research a certain religion and answer the question, what happens after we die? Right? So they have to do that. Then I ask them to research another religion. And, uh, and what does that religion have to say about suffering? Why is there suffering? Why is there brokenness and bad things that happen in this world? Right? So they have to research and then write on it. I can't tell you how many students come to me or even write this in their papers. And they say things like this. They say, I've never actually really thought about those questions before. Never really thought about why there's brokenness in this world. I've never really thought about what happens after I die. For many of them, they've never really thought about the answers to that question. And part of it is because they have managed to distract themselves from what truly matters. And I do think that's one of the challenges of living in an affluent society that often is built on achievement and success and accrual of all sorts of things. It isn't that all those things are bad. It just is they have the propensity to endlessly distract us 
from the things that really matter. And so we live in a culture of distraction. But there are also distractions, and I think that's what our passage tells us, that there are distractions that come within the faith as well. There are distractions that come within the, this, this kind of faith community as well. And that one of those distractions can be the same thing that captured Martha's heart, that we can get lost in duty and service. We can get so distracted in advancing the kingdom that we actually miss out on the source and the reason for, and the power of the kingdom of God. And churches can fall into this as well. Churches can be so, become so captured by building a congregation and growing the reach of the kingdom that suddenly Jesus becomes absent from the message of that very church. And so what does Jesus do? He calls distracted hearts. He calls out to distracted hearts and he gently and intimately calls us to repent. He calls us to step out of the anxiety of divided and distracted hearts. And he calls us to single-minded devotion to him. Friends, make no mistake. I believe that Christians ought to be the biggest servants who are out there. We ought to be all about spending our time, our money, our giftedness for the sake of others who are around us. But here is the challenge, that if we become so engaged in doing all those things, but lose Jesus in the process, what are all those things really and truly worth? You see, the parable of the Good Samaritan tells us that we ought to be radical servants, to actively seek ways to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of of others. But when they come to the Gospels, you discover this. The Gospels tell us that the greatest servant who was out there, the greatest servant was Jesus Christ himself, who came to serve you and I. He came to the spiritual needy who have become bankrupt in their souls because of their sin. He came to be a spiritual servant to the spiritual destitute lying on the side of the road awaiting spiritual death. You see, all that is why Jesus came as the suffering servant. And what we learn that his sacrifice on the cross, it binds up our spiritual wounds, bringing grace and forgiveness to our hearts and our lives. But make no mistake, Jesus didn't sacrifice himself because it was his duty. It wasn't some dry exercise that he had to begrudgingly engage in. He did it all because it was his sheer delight. You see, the book of Hebrews tells us something incredible. It says the, the, the reason Jesus hung on that cross, the reason he walked that road, the reason he sacrificed himself was because of joy. Because of the joy that was set before him. And what is that joy? That joy is doing the will of the Father. That joy is a relationship with you and I. There was no sense of duty. It was all joy and delight as the suffering servant sacrificed himself on our behalf. So if you've become lost in distraction, if you've become lost in duty, then look no further than the cross.
See his deep, deep love for you. Don't get lost in the duty. Instead, taste of the abundance of grace that we have in Jesus Christ. But don't let distraction keep you from sitting at his feet and soaking up each day his deep and powerful and radical love for you. Amen?